Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, where we interview dads who are technology company leaders based in Southeast Asia. After hearing from moms in Season 1, now it's time to speak to dads who are raising kids while striving in their careers. Let's find out the stories, challenges, and advice they have for us. In this finale episode of Season 2, I'm excited and humbled to speak to a parent in tech with a different story. Cliff Tam was diagnosed with cancer at age 10 and had six months to live. After a successful liver transplant, he went on to be an Ironman triathlon at age 27 and gave up his career in tech and Christian ministry to be a full-time stay-home dad. My conversation with Cliff was an inspiring and soul-searching one as we talk about being honest with our priorities and relishing each moment with our children. Today, Cliff is in Singapore, enjoying each day nurturing and bonding with his two daughters, aged three and five, along with his wife, Rachel. Good morning, Cliff. Welcome to the Parents in Tech podcast. It's 5.45am in the morning. Thank you so much for waking up early. I guess that's part of being a parent, right? We have to wake up and do this when our kids are sleeping. But first and foremost, Cliff, could you tell us a bit more about your family? Okay, so I am married to my wife, Rachel. I'm a Chinese, born in Hong Kong. And when I was eight, my family migrated to Canada. So I grew up in Toronto for pretty much my whole life, 20, 25 years or so. Something unique about me is that I was diagnosed with a liver cancer when I was 10 years old. Wow. And so the doctor suggested that the best solution instead of cutting part of the liver over the cancer is to actually do a transplant. So they suggested my parents, why don't you put Cliff on the waiting list? And so I don't remember how long, maybe like a couple of months. One day after school, my mom got a phone call saying that, hey, we find a suitable donor for Cliff. So they wheeled me into Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. Operation was like about 13, 14 hours later. And I woke up with these tubes in my all over me and, oh. and so I was in ICU for a week or 10 days before I was ruled out and that was my liver transplant my new liver and so another unique thing about me is when I was 27 I did an Ironman triathlon so in that period of my life between 25 to 27 28 I, I was really into triathlon endurance sports marathon all those crazy long distance things it became who I am in a way and not that I do that sport now I mean I do and I don't it's kind of hard to explain because I have kids so but I think it really change how I think about life per se and it's so unique because for me to have a liver transplant and to do, do all this crazy stuff which I never thought possible and so that's my background so my career wise I started as IT I was mm. in tech in 2011 I moved to Singapore to help with a Christian NGO to help them with their IT structure in the back end and so I married my wife Rachel we can talk about how we met later. It's a bit long story. So my wife, Rachel, she's a medical doctor in Singapore, grew up in Singapore, mm-hmm. and she loves to travel over the world to help the poor. So she went to Nepal, went to India, went to the Philippines, went to all different places before uh, we got together. And something that got us together is, uh, well, I find she was beautiful. <laughs> I really like her. But she also the triathlon, but also because we both have a heart for the poor. And so that's part of becoming one unique thing that why we got together. And so we have two daughters. We have Sarah Faith. She just turned five earlier this month. 
uh, second child, Esther Praise, which she just gonna she gonna turn three in like two months. So she's two years and I don't know, ten months or something like that. <laughs> and so we both homeschooled them. But Sarah Faith last year, end of last year, she said she wanted to go to school. So just about two weeks ago, we started sending her to school and she really enjoyed it. So in terms of what I'm doing right now is I'm a stay-at-home dad looking after these two girls. So me and my wife, in the past two years, we rotate looking after them. So my wife, Rachel, will teach mm. Sarah Faith on English, Chinese, and grammar, which I'm not very good at in any of these topics. And also arts and crafts, which my wife is much better than me. And for me, I focus on math, science, patterns, logic, telling time, all the other stuff. And so that's what we were doing just like before two weeks ago. Got it. Wow, that's such a rich story. Mm. There's so many things I want to unpack over this yeah. podcast, but maybe let's take it one step at a time. Yeah, let's sure. start with that little liver transplant journey. Did it leave a big impact on you as a child growing up? What do you remember about it? And how do you think it has impacted who you are, especially as a parent today? Wow. So when I had my liver tumor, they gave me six months to live. Oh, wow. And you were 10, right? I was 10. So because I was 10 at that time, I don't realize how serious it is that they have to do something like this. Not like now. And I have. So I do say that from my own experience, someone who had a liver transplant, I actually have quite positive experience in this way. I'm very thankful. Like, I mean, I grew up going to hospital after the liver transplant, do ultrasound, CAT scan, mm. whatever test they needed me to run to make sure that I'm healthy and normal. In the hospital, I was known as the... As the miracle child because how does the transplant works is that because the liver is a foreign object going into my body my body will want to attack it yeah because they say hey this is not the same as the rest of your body or whatever so what they need to do is i need to take this medicine immunosuppression drug right so it's actually to suppress my immunity so that my body is able to accept my liver mm. so of course this drug is it's quite powerful and it can be dangerous because it lowers my immune system. So it does a couple of things. It's not good for my kidneys long-term and it also makes me more likely to get sick because it lowers my immune system. So in the beginning, they really want to make sure that my body is adjusting well to this new liver. And I'm very thankful I have no issues. I have no rejection issues, which I still remember because I'm not the only transplant child in the hospital, in the clinic. There were other children. I remember there's a child probably about my age, maybe just older, maybe like nine, or maybe actually maybe younger, I guess. They flew him in from Peru. And I remember they did a liver transplant. They did two kidneys and they actually implanted a third kidney to him and, and he still didn't make it. And then I remember wow. there's another baby, an Asian baby. I think she or he has a, I don't remember which transplant and I don't think he made it either. Right. So I grew up, I don't realize how precious it is okay i say i say that and until much later in life i think until until much later i would say that even in university because i grew up so normal mm. i have no no issues no serious pain no serious failures so in a way i say i almost squander my liver transplant because in university i used to drink a lot of alcohol i used to get drunk all the time i used to love getting drunk i used to boast that i have a Caucasian's liver because Asians, you know, cannot drink. So you know, I can drink a lot, which is really silly looking back, really stupid because my liver transplant is such a precious thing. So because I was young and <laughs> foolish and wanted to get people to like me and all that stuff. So one thing that would really impact me realize how precious it is, is that I cannot get life insurance. 
I know it's what does life insurance have to do with this? Life insurance because if my children, are, if I'm not here, yep. life insurance is an income replacement for my children, and I cannot even get that. Why? Because all the life insurance company think I'm high risk. <laughs> they think that because I have a liver transplant, even though I'm, I'm not saying I'm very healthy. I'm like super healthy. I'm quite healthy. I don't have any major issues. I know, and yet they still think I'm high risk. It's crazy. And so no insurance will ever take me on because they look at me like a statistic. I say you are high risk, and so that for me is like that one sign for me is that wow, I'm different than anybody else. Yeah, not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder. Yeah, it's a reminder, but also it's also a reminder. It's a precious thing because what now I'm <laughs> I'm 41. When I have a transplant, I was 10 just before turning 11, so I have these 30 extra years to live compared to about six months. Yeah, that's crazy. The thing is that no one knows how long I will live. Because one time I asked my transplant doctor, I said, what is my longevity? And so they say, they cannot tell you because they say that, well, it'll be shorter than normal people, healthy people, but they don't know. And so and I think in a way it can be scary, but also in a way it's not because if I, when I look back, I realize, wow, like now I'm like, what, 31 years of transplant, of extra life. So even though I may not know what my tomorrow it will be, which to be honest, none of us know. Come on, man. None yeah. of us know what tomorrow will be. That's the reality. We think we know, but we don't. But yet, I'm very thankful for able to live so long. So yeah. I think it changes these things. I think having kids also changes that too. I'm sure you as a father changes. Like before, I used to be like, yes, go do skydiving and all that stuff. Now I'm eh, why I'm going to risk my life to get high, to get this adrenaline just so that or to prove something or to get excitement but mm. why <laughs> not so worth it I think I think just priorities changes <laughs> yep wow thanks so much Cliff and that's incredible because this whole idea of our mortality the health we have so often we take it for granted and especially when like you say we are in inverted commas healthy yeah. we kind of take each day as if tomorrow we're going to wake up tomorrow we're going to be fine and life is going to go normal but you and I are both Christians and James chapter 4 it says life is but a mist or one path and we're gone so yeah truly truly wow this is a really nice reminder but also at the same time I'm so glad and so grateful that instead of the six months you have three decades yeah I'm so thankful it's crazy many more to come it is it is so Cliff I have to ask is this this whole episode and you becoming an Ironman triathlete are they linked uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you my Ironman triathlon journey is very silly. I did not do it to inspire others, to prove all that stuff. Okay, so let's start off from the beginning. I never see myself as an athlete because in high school, I cannot even run a 400-meter track okay. without huffing and puffing. Okay, so I'm always the last pick in the sports team. Why? Because I'm small, I'm short, I'm puny, I'm skinny, whatever. Mm. And I, I still remember in high school, we played football. No one will ever guard me. So someone passed me the ball and runs for touchdown. Why? Because they don't expect me to do anything. And that's what I mean. That's what I'm trying to say. But there's one thing I do enjoy is I like to ride bikes, cycling. So just at the end of high school or university, I start to jog a bit. Mm. Not long, just 5K or maybe even 10K, just for fun. And so at the end of university, my friend sold me his road bike. And that's the first time I ride a road bike. Mm. And at that time, I also signed up for a triathlon. I have no idea what I signed up for. So I can swim a bit, not so good. I can bike and run. So I did my first triathlon. But I remember the day or the couple of days before the triathlon, I saw this crazy Ironman on the internet. 4K or 3.8K of swimming, 180K of 
biking and then a marathon, which is 42.2K to run. And they give you 17 hours to do it. So at that time, I was riding bike and I was riding long distance. I remember one time my friend would do like 180K up and down. And I thought, oh, okay, I can ride a distance. So the running part, I got to learn how to run long distance, 42K, run a marathon. Okay. And just to know how to swim again. So if I put all this together, I can do an Ironman. So that is where the stupidity, I say stupidity because it was some sort of inspiring moment to prove myself, right? It's just this crazy idea that, hey, it's actually doable. Okay, of mm. course, when I start doing this, the different story, okay? <laughs> the different story was, I mean, it's still crazy, but it's, like, it's just really crazy. Who ever like want to run yeah. a marathon after yeah. like riding for 180K? Anyway, so it started off with that. And, and I think it started off with a humble journey. I say it's a humble journey. I mean, I got to learn how to swim again. Mm. And I remember at first, I could only swim like two laps before I'm huffing and puffing. I'm like, okay, I got to see a coach. And so I went to this swim class and the coach separated, I don't think there's like five of us or six or seven of us, it doesn't really matter. The coach separates into three groups. So there's a fast group, the slow group, and then I'm like the only one in the other group. Why? Because I cannot even swim. My hips are so tight. I cannot move. All I do is just drills. I just kick. All the other people, are, they're teaching them how to swim. But I persist every day, every morning before work, I will go to the pool and just work on drilling alone. And then I see the coach. I just keep doing it over and over again. I remember, and this is in Canada. So I remember in October, November, it's cold. It's five mm. degrees or whatever. And in the morning, I walk to the community pool, half an hour to walk there to swim. And then my mom would drive her car to work, which is near to the pool. Then I finish swimming, you know, by six o'clock. Like nobody's there except the elderly. <laughs> so I'm the only there with the elderly. It's so funny. And so after that, I'll get changed and then pick up, and my mom's car, and I'll go to work. And after work, I'll go to swim again, just to practice on drills, not not do anything else. Wow. And after three months of this consistency, I was able to swim one kilometers. And I, when I know I can swim one kilometer, the other distance is not so hard. It's just practicing the endurance and aerobic. So that was really where I started off. And I'm not a fast person, okay? Most triathlon races, I'm the mid-pack. But I do love doing the long distance. So I spent two years training. So one year is to the half. Ironman and then the second year is almost the same thing except you keep stretching the distance and still keep conditioning your body to able to endure the distance. In this sense, I'm very thankful because I really did not know anything about triathlon but I know I met a lot of people online on the blogging. Like there's a huge blogging community and then I met some people in person and this guy who he's a we call him an age grouper because in his age group he was win the top three. He's really fast. He's much older than me. He's like about 10 years older than me. And so he would take me under him and we'll go running or riding. He will wait for me because I'm so much slower. But yeah, he's willing to journey with me. And I'm very thankful for people like that, that they are so much better than me. They don't need to spend that time, but they do because there's a friendship, there's a fellowship. And so, yeah, two years later, I did my first triathlon. Here's my thing. I thought that, okay, when I first did the first triathlon, I told myself, I'm going to do many of these in the future. So the first one, I better make sure that it's hard because, <laughs> you know what? That's just the hardest one ever. Yep. So I look in North America, which is the most climbed, the steepest or whatever. Where I stay in Toronto, the closest one is Lake Placid in New York State. So you're riding up along hills and stuff, which is this beautiful place though, Lake Placid. So in 2007, so I started in 2005, 2007, I actually did the Ironman. So I took my family along and then my close friend came and took a look at me and it's quite crazy how, how I did it. 
looking back, it's a bit nuts. But yeah, it, it is nuts. <laughs> it's it nuts is. Too. It's crazy, Cliff. Wow. So basically, two years. Two years was what it took for you to train or when to go from looking at a website yeah. of what Iron Man yeah. is and being completely unprepared to completing the race. Yeah, but one thing I like about endurance sports, especially this long distance, is the unknown. For example, if I run 10K, I know I can finish it. Mm. I can say even say 42K, I know I can finish it. 40K is quite, 21K, I know I can finish it. But I want to, not that I'm a, maybe I'm a adrenaline junkie, I don't know. I want to reach the point, I'm not sure if I can finish this or not. Right. I don't know if I can finish it. But let's just go to that point to find out. And Ironman is pretty much that. Like I say, for me, my favorite distance is actually the half Ironman because you don't have to train so much. It's just the half the distance of Ironman. You don't have to train so much and you just go in the morning, you're done by the afternoon and you're done. And recovery is so much faster. Where the Ironman is, when I was training, I'm not seeing anybody. I sleep at like 9 p.m. Like, I'm like, no, this is me in my mid-20s. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, forget it. I'm not seeing anybody. No social life. 9 wow. p.m. I sleep. Why? Because I gotta get up at 6 a.m. to train. That's like even 5.30 a.m. to get my bike because I had to arrive for like what, five, six, almost seven hours to get used to the distance. And then, then on Saturday, it was my long bike ride, which is that. And then on Sunday, my long ride, which is maybe like two hours, two hours before I go to church or something like that. So I get up at 6 a.m. to go for a jog and then shower change and then head over to church. <laughs> that's, how, that's how the insanity is. The thing is that I won't see anybody else. So let's say if a family, that's very hard because I was single then. Different story. Mm. <laughs> got yeah. it, got it. So how has being an Iron Man athlete shaped you as a parent? Because that whole idea right, of the right. resilience, the character building, tell me the lessons you took to parenting. I think for me, the biggest thing is that the Iron Man is, I was doing these things every day. And before you do the tragedy to the race and, and complete it, I mean, oh, you don't have the train every day. You do whatever. You can, tomorrow you can do it if you want. It's very painful. That's okay. But I just remember the swim, for example. Like I was every morning I was a pool showing up. No one was there. There's no one cheering me on. No one really care if I do it or not. And I think sometimes parenting is like that. For example, I changed my kid's diaper. I spent a whole day with them. No one's going to be like, hey, that's a great job. That's awesome. Okay, they may be because I'm a dad. For mom, they may be like, ah, that's expected of you. Right? For me, it's so silly. The funny thing is that I just feel like compared to doing Ironman or training for one and compared to looking after my kids, I actually feel... My time with the kids are so much more important than the time I do with my triathlon. Because me and my wife, we always talk about this once in a while. I said, hey, should I do an Ironman again or whatever? In part of me would love to, mm. but part of me do not. Because I know that if I do that, I'm not going to see my kids. That's the problem. And this is what I say to everybody. Because I did an Ironman before. So I say, compared to looking at the kids, Ironman is a walk in the park. <laughs> It is. Because why? Because you get people look up to you. People say, wow, you're so amazing, blah, blah, blah. You get a medal. You get a, people get tattoos and people get a, get a shirt with the Ironman logo. So you have this, I don't want to say prestigious. So you have this fear. Oh, I say, wow, oh, you're so strong and whatnot. You know? And so compared to like parenting, people are like, oh, well, that's your job, right? Your father or your mother. Yeah. But look at the child's day in, day out. I cannot take a break. There's no way like I can, where I want to do Ironman, I, I can take a break. One day of the week is my rest day. You know? Hey. Where when I look up at my kids, uh-uh, that's not going to happen, especially when I'm tired and I'm grouchy and yeah. my kids are cranky, right? And they're crying and they make a mess and they don't want to eat dinner and, and or they make a scene outside. So for me, I got stay at home dad or stay at home mom, look at the kids every day with cooking and stuff. I really like bow down to them because they are the true Ironman athletes. I'm telling you, compared to Ironman, 
parenting is like a whole new other level. So I say Iron Man is a, it's a walk in the park. It's easy, I would say. Wow. As insane as that, it's easy because yeah. people will cheer you on. Like for example, if, like, okay, I never done this. Okay. So let's just say if today I write posts on Instagram or Facebook saying, I got up in the morning, I spent five hours writing for like 100K or 120K, whatever, in the heat, in 30 degrees heat, and I go for a swim. People are like, wow, good job. You're so amazing, blah, blah, blah. Compared to a rare post saying that, I woke up five in the morning because my kids woke up and I couldn't, and, you know, and once they're True. up by 7 a.m., I have nothing else to, what to do with my kids because they have done everything they want. They want to go out. Okay, so we go out. I don't know if I will get as much of that feedback. Yeah. But I would say the impact, the key is the impact for long term. What is it? But I mean, just for me, just myself, impact of me parenting, look at my kids, hmm. huge difference. I'm building lives for them, the next generation. So for uh, me, that's the difference. That's magical, Cliff. And I fully agree, but I never run an Iron Man, but I can totally see yeah, why being a parent is You don't need to. You're a parent. You don't need to. Why? It's a, I mean, yeah. yeah, but I'm curious, how do you get through the lows of parenting? Now, uh, <laughs> it's been five years since you're a parent. I went to my wife. That's part of the reason. No, just kidding. I do actually. I become more of a stay-at-home dad. For a while, we were in Canada. So both my child, they were born in Canada. Mm. Okay, so it's like between 2017 and 2019 in Canada because my wife went to John Hopkins in the States to study in between those years. So when we flew back to Singapore in 2019, mid-2019, so my wife is going to go back to work because she's at bonded with the government. So we're like, okay, so what do I do? I look after the kids. I can tell you, I did not want to look after the kids in the beginning. I told my wife, let's just send the kids to back to, to a daycare or whatever. Then, then I will go back to church and do ministry. But then it quickly dawned on me and I felt like the Lord is God speaking to me saying that I think it's actually for me to stay home to look after my children. Why? Because... Even if we can get Sarah to go to school, which I don't think she want to at that age, two and two and a bit, who's gonna look it up as as a praise? She's like just a baby, like four months old. So that means that you're gonna find another sitter to look at the as a praise before they while I'm gonna go to church. It doesn't make sense financially. It means that my own salary is take care of pay out pay off the work for school and take care. That doesn't make sense. So I'm like, okay, I guess this is what it means. I think that is where it started off with. I think I can tell you that in the past two years, because with COVID and with lockdown and stuff, I mean, I noticed there's a trend in me. There's this cycle of in, in some days, every month I'd be like, yeah, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good dad. I'm going to do this for my children faster next generation. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then once in a while, actually about once a week, I have this cycle where I tell my wife that, oh, I want to go back to church. I want to do some mm. teaching or whatever. I want to go back to that. And so, I mean, I'm very thankful for HR because we joined it together. And I think she and I, we talk about it, say, how can me transit into someone like that? So we're not there yet, but I think we're moving closer. Like for example, this podcast, like last year, I was like, ah, I'll never do it. I'm too busy being at some there. Now, you know what? Let's do some of these now. I'm still right now finishing off my Masters of Divinity. So I just got to finish my thesis. Mm. So once that's done, I think this year I may transit a bit more. So, But to answer your question in the low times, I think I really just talk to Raja. I think that helps a lot. Talking to my wife helps a lot. And not to say we have fine solution, but we kind of bounce ideas off another mm. and, and see how it goes. But I do say that I think the reality is that, I mean, just many things in life, it's not always so positive and good. For example, even triathlon, doing an Ironman, that's the reality, right? That's this when you're running or you're swimming for long distance or biking. Some period you'll feel really good, 
and some period you feel like crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's in a strange way because I learned that from Iron Man. I mean, I can learn that from any other thing you do in life, right? Like, or playing piano, do whatever, any sports or any hobby. There's good and bad. It's how do you endure the bad. And I think even parenting as well, I think knowing that this is just a phase. This is just a phase. For example, right now, my as a priest, she refused to eat any meals. <laughs> Guess what? Sarah Faith gone through that phase as well. So I'm very thankful because Sarah Faith has gone through those phases. We know how to manage as a priest. So we, we also realized that this phase will come, this phase will go. Mm. We call it a terrific twos <laughs> for, for toddlers, not yes. terrible twos, terrific twos because Sarah Faith gone through it as a priest is still going through it right, right now. Yep. In the beginning, I, I didn't know what's going on. I think that was the hard part. Like at the beginning when, when Sarah Faith, just before turning two, so they run around, pull everything out. So, I mean, I can still tell you, I remember those days that when Sarah Faith was, or not even two, just like almost becoming one. She started to crawl and she started to like, I remember she used to go to the library. I took her to the library and Sarah Faith used to pull all the DVD cases out one after another. She crawled to one, one, take her out and then crawl to another, take her out. So <gasps> what did I do as a parent? I follow her on my knees pull them back as fast as you pull them out. <laughs> so, and I remember those times I used to be counting down the minutes, counting down to minutes to when wow. okay, I'm going to go and pick up Weija from school for her class to end. So those for me was some of the hard days because I didn't know what's going on. I guess I should read more. See, But now when I look back, Weija hmm. was telling me, oh, because children, they like to uh, deconstruct before they construct. And it's true. Because now I look at Sarah Faith, she doesn't do that anymore. Hmm. But then I realized the reason why I feel so frustrated because part of that is I don't understand how a toddler grows and how she thinks. That's why she's behaving like that. You know, my parent, I always just, if I don't know, I just tell her, stop doing that. Yes, that's wrong. But actually, that's how she's growing because she picked up a new skill, pulling stuff out. So she just want to practice over and over again. So I think for me, the low end is to try to understand that first, it's just a phase. It will go. And second is that there may be situations where the child is just learning. Mm. And so I had to just bear with it. <laughs> yeah, this is how they learn. This is how they grow. I can totally relate to the pulling things out. My daughter will open up drawers now. She's yeah, at the age 16 it. months. I just yeah, toss yeah, things she... out and then leave it and then go to the next drawer and next do the same. And do the same. <laughs> yeah, that's how they do it. Because how would they know to put it back in? They're exactly. So yeah. 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 So, so I have to ask, how a decision for you to be a stay-home dad as much as I think this is really to be celebrated as a father myself, I feel like society these days might not have completely come around to the idea of that. And I'm sure maybe sometimes once in a while you do get questions asked, especially maybe in Singapore. But tell me what the experience is like. Or do you not face that at all? Which I hope is the case. But how does it, when you get those looks, those stares, those questions, just share a bit more on that. Right, sure. For me, I think the... <laughs> I just remember going to the grocery store mm -hmm. at Singapore. This is the one of the most deep impacted <laughs> experience I had. Is that I go to go to the grocery store to check out with my kids. So okay, we Sarah, you know, at that time okay, it doesn't really matter how old my kids are. So the cashier went look at me, point to me and say, You are a stay at home mom. You know? <laughs> and I think because for her, I mean I don't think she knows. I mean, so for me I'm no, I'm a stay at home dad. <laughs> it really does. But I just feel like because maybe she doesn't know her English well enough, so she doesn't know that it's a sound that then. So I would say that for 
most of the decision we make as a parenting for me and my wife, we make it quite different than how the way the rest of society see parenting. Mm. I mean, okay, part of it is our friends' influence. So for example, homeschooling. I would never imagine being about homeschooling there. I never imagine. I'm telling you that. My disclaimer is I don't like children. <laughs> Growing up, I never touch a baby or play with young kids. or I don't even know how to do with them. Now I have my own children that's different because I love them. But I never, not that, I'm not that type of guy who really like, you know, love young children. And so, but I think part of the influence we have is some of our friends who do homeschool their children and they're sharing with us how they enjoy spending time with them. And in the beginning, I can tell you, yeah, it's true. I don't really enjoy spending time with them. I feel like it's a waste of my time. That's how I feel. I feel like my time is better served, you know, better do church or career things mm. because that's what I value. But I think something that I see in my children, okay, so I guess it's more of a experience than a science proven. But I just think that how do my children feel love? They feel love by how I spend time with them. Meaningful time. Not like I'm watching my phone while they're like, you know, playing. You know, like really meaningful interact with them. That's how they feel love. For me, most children, that's probably how they feel love. Even when I send them a text message, they don't care because they're children. They're like so young, especially at this age. So they feel love when I spend time with them. So equals to the more I spend time with them, the more they feel love. So filling up the love tank analogy. Yeah. So the, the goal of it is actually becoming how we can fill our kids with so much love that they will always feel love. Not that they're needy, but that they, they feel love developed. And so that's what I see homeschooling becomes. Mm. So for me, being a parent, or how do I become a stay-at-home dad? I'm going to answer your question as I lead on. Is that I realized that, oh, this is how I show them love. And I got to do that as much as possible to build them up. Because I'm not doing it just for the next two, three years. Life makes sense that you build from one stage to the next. For example, from singlehood, you find a girlfriend, then you get married, then you have kids. So you build from one stage to the next stage. And so a child grow from one stage to the next stage. So it will make sense if you start them off a stage that's really have a strong foundation. Mm -hmm. And I believe uh, this with children, a strong foundation is not with learning things, to do things. For me, this is for me and my wife, that actually the learning comes secondary compared to loving them. Because I believe that if a child is so loved and so secure, knowing that parents are around, which is probably for my kids like toddlers, parents are the most important. Anybody else compared to anything else. Then if they feel so loved, learning will be secondary. And I see that in Sarah Faye because now she wants to learn so many things. Why? Because she feels so loved. It's not because we are so special parenting. We have some special homeschooling materials or to prove that homeschooling is better than traditional school. It's because she feels so loved. And okay, so how do I know she's learning so much more than other children? Not that I'm not saying that the other children are not I'm better than other children. Okay, I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that Sarah Faye is some sort of genius. Okay, maybe she is. I don't know. But I can say that right now she's in K one. Okay, so kindergarten one. By the time before, two weeks ago, when we were homeschooling her, it was K2 materials. Like I was teaching her big math numbers, 72 plus 86, how to wow. carry the one over to make hundreds. Is she, is she like very good at this? No, but she understands the concept of it and lead her a bit at a time. How did I do that? It wasn't because I have some special skills or techniques. It's because she feels love. 
and she feels love enough. She wants to learn. She wants to journey with us. For me, math is quite amazing because math is very theory, abstract. But she's able to figure that out because why? Because she is with us. And so this, for me, becomes the social foundation. I say that our society, in a way, is not very child friendly. Mm. Okay, so we will say we like children, but we do not enjoy spending time with them. Wow, my my statement can be a bit biased, but I think it's partly true. Because why? Because we have a lot of things we can do to outsource them away from us. So it's true we have to work and whatnot. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, is my child gonna feel loved because I go to work, or is my child gonna feel loved if I spend time with them? I can say spending time with them is harder than working.、Mm. You know that it's looking after a toddler, yeah. Like from day in day out, it's hard work. It's a lot of work. Plus, you know, you have to deal with the house, you deal with bills, you know, and whatnot. Now, I'm not saying that you're a bad parent if you're working and you're sending your child to go to school. I understand that. Okay, I understand. You know, you have bills to pay, but I also see that a lot of times, parents, including myself, will justify saying that. Oh, I'm sending my child to school because it's better for them, or for them to learn social skills or whatever. When I'm really doing it because so I can have my time for myself. <laughs> that is something that I think all parents need to have a deep conversation about. Instead,、mm. of, I would say instead of lying to ourselves, lying to me, I did it too. There are times when I tell Richard, I think it's time to send Seraphim to school. It's not because for her sake; it's for my sake. Yeah, but I justify it because I'm a、yep. parent. I have the bills to pay. I have to work. I do. It's true. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your bills. I'm not saying you shouldn't work to pay your bills. I'm not saying, but the real reason of why I do what I do, right? So I think for me, once I realize my child feels love when I spend time with them, the more I spend time with them, the more they feel love. So why is this so important, especially in the early stage? Because when we look at society right now, there's a lot of mental. I get mental illness issues. I mean, with kids, teenagers, and whatnot. I'm not saying this will solve everything. Okay, so I'm not because it's such a complicated issue. But I would say, if my child feels love early stage in their lives, that would be a foundation for them when they go to teenagers. That would be a foundation for them when they go to young adults. Me and Rachel talk about it. Look, if I don't spend time with them right now, they may have issues when they grow up. Right. So, are we going to spend time with them later or now? So the question is, well, I'm gonna choose. I will choose to spend time with them right now. Actually, to be honest, now that I'm a stay-at-home dad, I wanna spend time with them all through their lives. I'm not saying that some kind of crazy they never work and whatnot. You know, I probably work, maybe not this season. And in a way, you can say that it's unique because my, because my wife is a doctor, so we can earn just enough for us to take care of both of us and the family. I understand, like income is issue, then that's different. I'm not saying that everybody should be doing this, but I think for us this works really well. And once I realize that my role as a father is to love them, for them to feel love. So how do they feel love? Is when they know that I'm spending time with them. How society thinks or prefers goes out the window.、Mm. Because why? Because it doesn't really matter to me. Because I know I'm doing something that is more important than what everybody feels, and how the world feels of. What we're doing doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, and I think that that's how it helps me go through the day in day out. Because when I look at my every day, which is really mundane, right? Changing nappies, preparing snacks, cleaning up, taking them out, dressing them—all those really mundane things—I、yeah. realize that there's actually a lot of value in that because 
I'm living life with them, and we talk and we laugh and we have fun mm. and we have joy mm. and they feel love. I think that's for me is the difference of how I feel parenting, how I feel as being a stay-at-home dad, which society may not be lifted up as it per se. Yeah. Compared to like that's for example, like I'm a CEO in a startup company and a tech company, you know. That compared to this, no contest. No one's gonna give me a medal or some award for changing society. But in my children's eyes, what do they see? They probably want me to be with them, <laughs> playing with them, and spending time with them more. So that's how. I, that's how. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow, Cliff, you're almost making me jealous and envious of the opportunity to be a stay-at-home dad. But <laughs> not sure about that. <laughs> but I think what you say really makes sense because it boils down to where do your priorities truly lie. And I feel like you also said very rightly that a lot of times we tell ourselves a narrative that we might not really fully believe in. I'm sure if we ask anyone out there, people will always say family comes first. But when the realities come of, let's say, someone at the supermarket calling you a stay-home parent, especially a stay-home dad, how does that impact you? I think that just reveals where your true priorities are. I think for you, it's very clear that family, your daughters, they are the ones that truly matter. What the other people think, the other pretty much unimportant yeah. people in your life think, it doesn't matter, right? What matters is your family and being there for them. Wow. I think that's just so refreshing, right? Basically, it's almost like walk the walk, talk the talk. Yeah. Thank you. Can I share one more thing? Yeah. Something that I processed a bit more last year mm. with another stay-at-home dad. The question that we had to ask ourselves is, what is the role of a man? That is the question. Because wow. for a lot of times, the role of man is the, I have to be a provider, I have to be this, I have to be this, I have to work hard for my family. I don't say there's an Asian mindset, but there's Asians who strongly believe in that. So anything that deviates from that, I do wonder if that question has to do with why fathers are not as hands-on per se or show love. And I think maybe partly it's because we feel like if I, for example, let's say I play with my kids, with my two girls, pretending tea party it's not a many thing to do you know what i'm saying and so the other question is what defines your identity for men is work work right your yep. career define who you are yep myself too easily triathlon define who i am i mean it's my hobby or my work in church define who i am that i'm a great christian minister or great christian teacher or great whatever and yet when it comes to being a father it's hard to find the identity because a father we at least what I've learned as a father is different than what I perceived in the beginning before my children was born. I think that's a huge, I think that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves because society-wise or maybe our own self-projection-wise is that a man must do this, this, and that. I mean, I guess for me, the fact that I'm not even earning income and my wife is <laughs> making income like, oh, am I less of a man if I earn less? For me, it's so silly. So let's say my wife got a promotion to make a bit more, got better bonus, and I make less. Am I, should I tell her not to take it? Is that, is that how silly it will go down to? You know, how, how far you want to go down to that path? And so I think that's the question that, as my other friend who's a stay-at-home dad, he said that this is the elephant in the room that no one wants to answer because it's a hard question. Because you just assume that, well, if you work hard, you take care of the family, take care of the bills, that's the role of the man, that's it. But a father is never like that. It shouldn't be. That's the only thing. I'm not saying it shouldn't work. I'm just saying that that shouldn't be the only defined because you can do that without being a father. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can pay bills without being a dad. But to be a dad, that's a different story. It's a whole new level because sure. you're building into lives of children. It's a whole so, different calling. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Cliff, 
to wrap up our conversation for today, if there's one lesson you have learned from your entire journey of the past five years being a dad, what would that be? Wow. I think I learned a lot about... Actually, I'm still learning. Maybe that's a better way. I think for us as a family, one thing that I feel like we really value is relationship. And we do that by spending time with one another. That is what we do. From the outside, you may say that Cliff's sacrifice not working and stay home, look after the kids. But the reality, when we look underneath of what we do, how we live our lives between me and Weijia, Weijia also sacrifice. Because for a while, she's working part-time. If she's really want to go into Korea, she would just not look after the kids and let me do the whole thing. And I, I don't know, I would go crazy. <laughs> I don't know. No, I would go nuts. You know, I'd be like, oh, it was on me. But, but she doesn't. She at home. She cooks, she prepares for us, she works, she look after the kids, give me a break. So, and she teaches and she do craft with the kids. I think for me as a parent, something that I learned is that I cannot do this by myself. Iron Man, I can muscle my way out of it. As funny as it sounds, I can just push hard, endure hard, suffer hard and overcome the obstacles. Just like a lot of inspiring things that where you go over this obstacle like impossible go forward and impossible don't fall into your fear these ideas but when it comes to parenting especially looking after two kids I realize I cannot do it by myself it's just impossible if Weijia is not there supporting me and I support her it's impossible <laughs> I, I think that's something that I learned that it's not something that I know it's actually admitting that I have weakness it's admitting that I need help. And for me, it's hard because as a guy, I don't like to ask for help. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't like to ask for help. I just want to do it on my own and figure it out. Yep. But I think now I'm at a stage where I guess I'm old enough to realize that I cannot just figure it. And I think that's one. I think number two is that, like I say, we value relationship and we value spending time together. So how I have changed, right? So right now, my wife, Rachel, she's in Africa right now helping out doing some public health project and with UNICEF. And so she's away for eight weeks, actually two months. Before, I would say this is impossible. How am I going to look after the kids for two months? It's crazy. But because me and my wife was looking after the kids together, I was able to transit. And now before she left, we scheduled a lot of people to help me look after my kids. There's other ladies who help play with the kids and whatnot. And I thought I need all that. Not to say I don't need all that. I realized something. I realized that, no, the first two weeks when she was gone, like the last two weeks, I realized that my schedule is so packed that I don't even have time to spend time with my kids. Because Sarah first starts going to school, so I don't even homeschool her anymore. So what did I miss? I actually start to miss the time I spend time with them in a very meaningful way. So I know it's an issue when I start to yell at my kids saying, please go in the car quickly so that we can go to the next appointment. When I start rushing them to get into the next appointment, something is wrong. It's wrong because I'm not showing them love. I'm showing them impatience. And I'm sure my children doesn't like it. They may not even express it. They don't like it. So I realized that, hey, you know what? Why don't I just free up my schedule so I can spend more time with them? Which is kind of ironic because I already look after them like 24-7. But I want to spend meaningful time with them. Like I want to spend time where like I can go to the library. I'm going to read books. And don't worry about the schedule. And then we go get a snack whenever. I want to go out and build some, build some rockets and launch them out downstairs not a dangerous one just like using a water bottle so it's not like i'm not gonna blow stuff up and you know get in trouble and stuff i want to do stuff like that and i cannot do that why because when sarah go to school and afternoon if she has any other programs then 
we're so packed doing stuff, running from one errand to another. So that's the difference between how I say my parenting changed because if my idea is just to fill the time up so they can do something, then I'll just fill the whole day with schedules for them for the to do. But now I'm almost doing the opposite. I'm telling people, don't come, don't come, don't come. Cancel this. Cancel the gym class. Cancel the music class. Why? Because I want to spend the afternoon with them. I want to go and ride a bike with them. I want to go them to you know go and do something together. And I think that's for me it's so different. Like, I would never expect that. And tell you that the other you know my my two years ago or three years ago I'd be like okay you know what how I can schedule every bit so that my kids are preoccupied with something. And if possible, me not being there so hands on. <laughs> That's the solution, so that I can be free per se. But now I'm like, let's spend this meaningful time together because I would say that the meaningful time together is so rare. Not when I'm like doing chores and stuff. We just go into the playground play for like half an hour. That's half an hour a day. That's so little. So I think that's the difference between me being there, how I have grown in the past five years. Wow, this is really such an inspiring conversation, Cliff. Thank you so much for sharing about these lessons. And as someone who is a working dad, I think you have just really opened my mind and opened my eyes up to a whole different way that I should consider. So, yeah, I just really enjoyed this conversation. Well, it's almost time for our children to wake up. So, just as a last question, if some of our parents who are listening to this would love to connect with you, how can they best do so? Can just I guess can just Google me. I have a website, cryptem.com, Facebook, Instagram. Sure. Yeah, it's not hard to contact me if they want to. Awesome. Yeah. We'll do that. And I'll put your website in the show notes. Well, Cliff, thank thanks you so, so much. much for joining me this early morning to chat. This is once again really enjoyable. And thanks so much for joining me on the show. Yeah, thank you for coming up so early. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the thing with the parents. As parent. Do it around your children's stupid schedule. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I hope you have a good day as well. Thank you. The pleasure was mine. All right, take care. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Singen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.